you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Dan Blogs, portfolio manager and partner at WLWP, and I'm joined today by our presenters, fellow portfolio managers and partners, Colin White and Josh Schellick. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to hang out with us for a little bit. And we hope you make the most of this session by using the tools provided to interact with the presenters and ask whatever questions come to mind. We all know 2022 is off to a rather interesting start with escalating tensions in Eastern Europe, ongoing stresses of living with a pandemic in a market that seems to be reacting to a variety of pressures. It's possible your feeling may be a little tired and may not be having the awesome day you all deserve. We're here to try to change that. We're going to share some good news and I will dial down the alarmist cry that you're hearing in the media and perhaps even instill a little bit of hope. We hope that after today, you're reminded that there are things you can worry about and take action on. There are also worries that are better left in our hands. And a few weeks ago, we sent a message that said, relax, we've got this. We truly, we really hope that our clients can take that message to heart. We're going to hand it over to Colin and Josh in just a moment to take over the session. And uh, they can explain more clearly why leaving some of those worries to us really is the right path to a good night's sleep. There will be time for responses to your questions at the end of the session, but feel free to use the uh, toggle or the question box to the right of your screen and uh, send us questions throughout the presentations as they come to mind. And with that, I'll pass it over to Colin and Josh to take you through our session today. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. I think the invite, Dan said it was interesting. I think the invite that we sent out for the webinar actually called it spicy. And this is a, a phrase that I used to describe the environment for the markets a few weeks ago on a podcast that Colin and I did. It is spicy out there. And some of it makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit. Some of the goings on make you maybe sweat a little bit. So what we're going to do today is hit some of these topics of interest and maybe cool things down a little bit. As usual, you, you may find us a little bit subdued compared to what you would expect as a reaction from us. And that's not because we're not paying attention. It's not because we don't care. It's not because we're not concerned about anything. It's just that we've trained ourselves. We've built a process and a system for ourselves to react in, in logical, rational, unemotional ways to, to some of these things. So that's what you'll get from us uh, as always. And as always, there's good news out there and Colin is going to kick it off. Yeah. Is it, I'm, I'm happy this kind of stuck because part of our, our view of the world is just way too much bad news out there. So we, yeah take advantage of you in this moment to say, Hey, we're going to force you to listen to some good news. And this is particularly cool. National parks, Canada have gotten together with a few of the provinces, mainly Western provinces at this point, they're hoping to roll it out all across Canada. And doctors are now going to be able to prescribe a prescription that gives the recipient a free pass to the national parks. Now this is, in my opinion, really cool. This is one of those things that I think that the big bureaucracies and the, the big groups of people have gotten right because Canada is a gorgeous place and I've been blessed to be able to see lots of parts of Canada. 
and there's some very unique stuff out there. And you know, getting out into the wilderness and relaxing does have health benefits. So I think that they've got this right. I think this is a wonderful program. And it's become so trendy, actually. I, my, my wife was, was reading about a, a, a spa that she was considering going to, and they talked about taking forest baths. And I hadn't been paying attention as she was describing the other treatments, but I said, okay, you got me. What's a forest bath? Apparently that's called a walk in the woods. If you're next time you're walking in the woods and your friends ask you what you're doing, you can tell them that you're taking a forest bath, but I digress. We have more good news. And this is one that I actually have become aware of as I've gotten to this point in my life, because I spent, you know, over 20 years raising a family and being sleep deprived for the better part of two decades. And now that my kids aren't at home, I find I'm sleeping a lot more and I find my appetite is less. And I find that I've actually lost weight and lo and behold, there's scientific proof behind this. If you get enough sleep, it is one of the key drivers to weight loss. An extra hour sleep can put you in calorie de deficit and help you control your weight. So if you're you know, wondering what to do on a Saturday morning to, to help your weight loss goals, Hey, maybe just sleep for an extra hour. Maybe that'll get part of it done. But anyway, huge fan of being well rested. And at this point in my life, I remember short enough time ago that I wasn't well rested and that bag of candy at three o'clock in the afternoon was really important to me. And that's all gone away now. So there you go. All kinds of good news. Now I'm going to pass it back to Josh and. He's going to start talking about panic and stuff. So hold on to these good thoughts yeah. as you go forward in this presentation. Well, we're, we're going to start with the poll just to provide a little bit of an icebreaker and get uh, everybody's gauge on what's going on right now. And so as we head to the polls here, I'm going to launch the poll. And what we want to know is what is your feeling? We're not looking for any proof or evidence or anything, but what is your feeling on the current landscape for economic growth? Is it a little bit lower than it should be? We're right on track or is it going gangbusters? Yeah, this is the part where we're trying to read the room a little bit because we do these things live. You can feel the energy a little bit. And this, this is a little bit more difficult. Now, I'm looking forward to getting back into doing these things in person and maybe this will be the year. But in the meantime, this will inform us as to how we're going to actually present today. So please give us an answer. So we have the votes rolling in here, Colin. Where do you think? The votes are going to lie. I think everybody thinks it's lower than it should be. Well, you're, you're fairly uh, prescient there, Colin, because I'm just going to close off the poll and we'll share it with everybody. We'll share the results. The majority of people, about three quarters, think it is lower than it should be. You now, there's a small number, about one fifth, think we're right on track. And actually, Colin, we got a couple people calling it gangbusters. So what do you think? I think we need to put a limit on the number of times you can use the word gangbusters because you go gangbusters with gangbusters. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, this is pretty much what we expect. This is where we thought people were. Yeah. But uh, Josh, is that right? Is that accurate? Is is there another side to the story? Totally another side that, the, that what people think is going on out there. And actually the economic growth right now is going what I would call gangbusters. So we're at three times, four times, I think, Colin, somebody's keeping tally out there, but gangbusters it is. We just had the best order of GDP growth, a measure of economic growth in the U.S. in 37 years. To me, that's gangbusters, way above average, way above what we have experienced over the last 20 years. And like I said, much higher than even a long period of time before that. So what we're trying to demonstrate 
for everybody is things maybe not so bad out there right now when you actually dig through some of the numbers that actually matter. Now, I know if you've turned on the TV lately or listened to the radio, you, you're probably a little bit more pessimistic on things. But our real goal today is to try to, again, dispel with some of the myths or some of the stories that are out there because things probably haven't been as bad as they've seen or that the media has portrayed. And even if they have been a little bit bad, what we're here to do is, is try to make smart decisions for you in, until they, they write themselves, which they inevitably will. Now, speaking of stories, I'm often accused of being a little bit too geeky or nerdy with some of the financial information that I find interesting. And Colin's looking like a smug look because he always is, accuses me of that. Now, I had an a complete three-hour lecture on the 80-year history of inverted yield curves today. But fortunately, I have smart people in my life that tell me other people may not be so interested. So what we have is a little bit more what we call infotainment today. So it's hopefully going to be a little bit entertaining, hopefully going to be some more of the stories that are hitting your radar while also being relevant to, to what we see in our day-to-day -day lives. Sorry, Josh, I'll jump in because I missed my my cue a little bit earlier and add my little piece to this is that we're not expecting you to pass a test at the end of this. We don't need you to understand an inverted yield curve or what the, you know, the credit spread means to emerging market debt and use that in your day-to-day -day life. The information that's being provided today is being provided so you sound better at parties and you feel a little bit more comfortable when you hear things and maybe you'll understand a few of the words. You've already reacted to a lot of the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about inflation and you've already reacted to that because when you went to the store and beef was more expensive, you bought pork instead. You've already changed and adapted to these things. So the things we're going to be talking about, a lot of them are lagging indicators, measuring previous periods of time, and the rest of it, infotainment. So please don't feel that you need to understand any of this. And at the end of this presentation, you should run out and take any action because that's not the intention. Sit back, enjoy, try to pick up a couple of sound bites to make yourself sound good at parties. So this slide we've titled, what's your story? And the reason we've titled it that is because we find, Colin and I especially, that there are a lot of story-driven investments out there today. So what do I mean by this? What do I mean by story-driven? A story-driven investment is one that its market's value is driven a lot by perception or some perceived promise that's out there or some intangible thing that you can't quite put your finger on. And there's been a lot of this over the last couple of years, as opposed to what we consider when we're looking at an investment. And that's something that has some proven track record, some actual fundamental value that you can put your finger on something like assets or profitability for business. You wouldn't marry based off of potential. You might, you wouldn't marry somebody and say, hopefully, and if I marry him, he's going to be doing the dishes three times a week and cooking a couple times a week and exercising three times a week. You might do that. Some people do, I actually think, but usually doesn't end. That is a risk that we would not recommend you taking for sure. So what have we seen with these story-driven investments over the last couple of years? Well, I would say that in, in my career, which you know, about 10 years now, I haven't seen the, the number of story-driven investments that we've seen over the last couple of years. It's been astronomical the numbers that that we've seen 
for some of these investments. And these are investments, they sound great until they don't. The, the promise is amazing until the companies start falling short of that promise. And then the promise of profits are astounding until they start missing some of those expectations. And this is really, it, it's a bubble, right? This is what we're talking about when we talk about a bubble. The bubble grows, it grows and grows as people pile into some of these story-driven investments. And eventually, when some of this promise is not lived up to, the bubble bursts. And then a lot of people lose a lot of money. And that's what, what we're trying to avoid by providing this information. A couple of those stories that we've heard a lot about the last couple of years that may have hit your radar, one is technology. It was so easy early in the pandemic to say that these technology companies are going to do incredibly well because everybody is working from home now and going forward for the foreseeable future. And certainly there are a lot of businesses that did thrive on that. But a good business, a good idea and a good investment, these are different things. And a great example of this is Zoom. Go look at a stock chart for Zoom over the last couple of years. Great idea. A lot of us are using it on a day-to-day -day basis these days. That doesn't necessarily make it a great investment. And we really do our best to try to avoid these types of investments because it's not sustainable. You cannot sustainably make money this way. As you can see from this graph, yeah, there are periods of time where people make a lot of money. And then you can also see from this graph that there are periods of time where people lose a lot of money. Not sustainable. It's not consistent. So we're really looking for more tangible things. We're looking for a clear path to more profitability, to more growth for a company. And it's, it's not just that, because it's easy to say, well, that company could make a billion dollars next year. It's easy to look at a company and say, that company is going to be more profitable in the future. It's harder to look at a company and say, the price that I'm paying today justifies the growth that we're going to experience for that company. You might tell me a company is going to make a billion dollars, but if you have to pay a trillion dollars to actually own that business, then it still may not be worth it for you. Now, I don't know, I don't need to tell you that inflation is a thing. I'm sure you've seen it, but it is more prominent today than it has been for most parts of the last 35 to 40 years. These charts here are showing you the last 20 years. And as you can see towards the right of those charts, we've seen a spike. We've seen a, a demonstrative spike over the last couple of years. And I, again, I'm sure you've heard about this. This is a story that has some real substance to it because inflation right now is broad-based. I think people just right about across the board are feeling it and it's hitting a lot of different categories to things that, that you would normally pay or, or, or buy. Interestingly, we've seen more inflation in what are called durable goods. So these are more tangible things like a car, windows for your house, a new washing machine, things like that. We've seen more inflation in those than we have in something like services, going to the movies, going out for dinner, financial advice, for example. That's for obvious reasons, as well as some of these supply chain related things that, that you've been hearing. We're going to go to another poll. So knowing that inflation is a thing, knowing that it's probably hit your pocketbook a little bit. How are you feeling about inflation today? How aware are you of it in your day-to-day -day life? Well, I guess this is where I like to drop my little nugget of wisdom that I've learned over the years. The, the entire history of the world, worrying has never made anything better. 
that these are things that are concerning for people for sure. But like I said earlier, this is the kind of stuff that you've probably already started reacting to. And depending on what you're doing, inflation is hitting different things in different ways. Over the last number of years, uh, secondary education actually had double digit inflation in Canada. So again, that affected anybody's decision-making with regarding to going to secondary education. So sharing the results with everybody here, looks like (laughs) you're you're right, Colin, most people's shopping habits have changed. Yeah, no, we have smart people in the room. They figured it out. And somebody out there has calculated their personal inflation rate down to two decimal places. If you're looking for a job, we may be hiring. I probably know who that is, so I'll get back to you. So, look, this is a real thing. Like I said before, it it is something material. It's a risk that we are thinking of, concerned about, aware of, something that we're monitoring very closely. And this is is something that's real. We shoo off a lot of the risks that are out there. This is one that's material. And there's still a lot of disagreement as to what's actually causing the inflation. And this is very interesting because we have hundreds of years worth of economic data on inflation and economists, broadly speaking, will tell you that we don't know exactly what causes inflation when it happens. (laughs) So as much as we can tell you that we know a lot of things about uh, finances these days, inflation and what actually causes it, maybe not one of them. Uh, Certainly, I, I would say that these supply chain issues have factored into it, but there's probably a lot of other things as well. Some people will blame the governments and the government handouts, what have you. I, I think what's more clear is what's probably going to happen next with regard to interest rates. We don't know what's going to happen next with inflation. Let's just be clear about that. Maybe we see higher inflation for the next couple of years. That's probably likely. Maybe we see inflation revert back to levels that, that we've experienced over the last 20 years. Certainly a possibility. Do we think that we're going to see persistently higher? Like I'm talking about 5% plus inflation for the next decade. Highly unlikely in our view. I would say put that one out of your your mind. Probably not going to happen. The way that the government reacts to this or central banks react to this is by increasing interest rates typically. And we've been seeing these cycles for decades now. Economy is that's going really strong. People start buying a lot more stuff. I can tell you for sure we're experiencing that right now. People buying stuff drives up prices. That's inflation. Governments respond to that higher inflation by hiking interest rates so people buy less stuff. And then people start buying less stuff and prices come down or the growth of inflation, the pace of inflation subsides a little bit. Again, these cycles have been happening for decades. It's nothing new. Interest rates should be going up when inflation is going up and interest rates should be going up when the economy is doing well. And that's what you're seeing now. Again, I told you that we've seen the best growth that we have in 37 years to end 2021. We also have very low unemployment rates today, both in Canada and the U S we're at or near the lows of the last 40 years in terms of unemployment. There are reasons why. Inflation is a thing. There are reasons why interest rates are increasing to deal with inflation. And for the record, the early stages of interest rate increases, not a bad time to invest. Actually, it's tended to be quite, quite a good time to invest over the history that we've observed. 
maybe not the panic that everybody's setting out, interest rates going up one or two percent back to where they were a couple years ago, probably not that big a deal. Now we also are looking at real estate, isn't that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I guess part of the theme here is the, this news that, that in these facts that we're talking about, people are trying to leap to making a conclusion. And one of the things that we do is, oh, that's an interesting thesis. And then we try to approve or disapprove of, of what's going on. The increasing interest rates, you know, it makes sense. You're going to put pressure on the housing market. It's going to be negative towards housing prices. And I think that's difficult. That is a, a negative thing towards housing prices, but it's not a vacuum. This is not a two variable equation. If you look through history, through previous periods of rising interest rates, housing prices have actually done well. So it's not a slam dunk that interest, higher interest rates equal lower housing prices. And the nuance of that is beyond the scope of this presentation. And the only point that we want to make forward is when we look back at history, we cannot find conclusive proof that what A leads to B. Therefore, we're less confident in behaving that way. And we've talked before about how we use information to make decisions and the whole difference between reading the farmer's almanac and it's going to be a dry summer, completely changing the crops you're going to plant compared to maybe securing a bit more water. You use this information to make small little tweaks around the edges. You don't buy into it entirely thinking, yeah, obviously housing prices are going to fall because it's not that simple. And the other thing to take a look at is nothing is new. I'm told that in Hollywood, they say all the stories have been told. Yeah, yeah there's, there's wrinkles and we spend money watching other versions of same stories. But again, there's, you can go back through history and you can find context on these kinds of things. Oh, and. I did the same thing I did last presentation, Josh. I reversed the same two slides. You'd think I'd make a different mistake this time, wouldn't you? You're a man of consistency, Colin. That's why we love you. Well, that, that's what I aim for. I really tried to catch this one because you wanted to talk about the January retrospective and try to put it in context. I wanted to ask you the question because we saw January, not a great month for markets for sure. I think we can say that uh, unequivocally, but I wanted your opinion if we gauge the spiciness level of January. Is it like call level, which just for the record is like as low spice as you can go, or is it like Armageddon or suicide level where you got to run for the hills? And assuming I have a new audience, I will point out exactly where my reputation has come from because early in my career, I worked as an accountant with the national sea products and I was uh, tasked with uh, joining the product development team to keep control of the costs and new products being developed. So I was in the room when they were testing things, they had a chef Luigi who was very passionate about his food. And by the second time I showed up to a tasting, he would walk up to me and ask me, did you like it? I said, yes, he threw it out in front of me because I was the bland control and nothing that I liked was ever going to make it to the shelf. So when people ask me about my level of spiciness, it's not really existent. So January for me was a bit of a heavy. I could taste the pepper on my food. And it was interesting because these things are often brought to me through the eyes of clients calling in because you know, the market hadn't moved enough really to catch my attention. And I noticed people around me starting to talk about it. I go, oh, maybe I should go look. I don't know. Josh, were you further ahead of it than I? Were you, were, were you ahead of our clients and noticing what was going on? 
We noticed for sure. And I think I've, I've seen the same as you. We've, we've had more and more questions trickle in over the last few weeks as people are looking at their January statement and thinking, okay, that was a bad month. We knew that was going to be the reaction because yes, it was a bad month. We'll have some context later on to show you just about how bad, but a month like that happens once every couple of years and maybe even more frequently than that. So it's really when we, we look at history, not that far out of whack with something that we would expect to happen on a fairly regular basis. Of course, we're doing this in real time. So I haven't checked the market today because I think Russia just invaded Ukraine. So all of our comments here may be dated by the time that this gets recorded and posted somewhere, but have no fear. We'll have a comment on that too, after we get a chance to digest it. So if we can go back to the slide that was going to be there a minute ago and talk about stories, and then we're going to talk about the historical context for a couple of these issues. So the first one that you know I want to talk about is inflation. And it's interesting because I had a story presented to me, which is actually very good, but then I did my thing and I did some reading, which made it even more interesting. So the fear, I don't know fear, the attention paid to inflation right now is because there was a period of time when inflation got out of control and was a really bad thing. And there was some bad federal policy that led to some bad situations and led to a couple of recessions. And it really became the once bitten, twice shy thing. And everybody's super, super focused on dealing with inflation. So this traces back to the seventies. So this tra traces back to the, the oil issues that happened in the early seventies and you know, inflation actually hit 14%. You were seeing my parents had a mortgage that was a 22%. It was a really difficult period of time. So there was a change uh, in the, the, uh, the federal reserve chair Volcker came in. And that was in 1979, he came in and he was tasked with, you, know, you got to get this fixed. So he aggressively raised interest rates in theory caused a couple of recessions, but all of a sudden by 1983 or 1982, the consumer price index had fallen to 3% and everybody got happy again. But you read the article, 1981, they changed the way they calculated the consumer price index because it included the cost of housing. And that was seen as a very difficult thing to properly quantify. It was not seen as an expense. It was more of an investment. So they changed the way they calculated the consumer price index in the U.S. in 1981. But guess what? Two years later, the inflation rate was back where it was supposed to be. So my point in bringing that up is that when you take a look at the top line number or the top line story or the simplified version of the story, there could be very significant nuances in there that really change the value of that piece of information for making decisions going forward. And that's where we talk about our process and spending our time, us digging into it and going, is that really true? Does that really equal that? These historical anecdotes that are being shared, are they really relevant? Because there can be a lot of really important details that can change how valuable some of this information is. But point here, I don't think inflation's on its way to 14%. Much Josh has read something in the last couple of hours that he hasn't shared with me. The world has lived through that. That is a thing. The next slide is going to show, and this is my go-to slide when it comes to people having questions like the 5% or worse loss, 95% of the time we see that in a year. You know, so January actually is a pretty you know, normal event. It happens most years. And I think it hadn't happened for a while. People were getting a little bit used to things going in, in a straight up 
direction. But I do think that we're moving down to, you know, the next couple of categories, but even those, a 20% drop happens once every four years. Those things happen. Like it's, it's not uncommon or un, unheard of that these things happen. And again, the, being able to, to foretell that these things are about to happen is there's no reliable way to do it. Yeah. And trust us, we've looked, we've really looked. The problem is even if we find a system that's going to work for us 19 times out of 20, we're going to miss it once. And that one time will wipe out any gain that we may have been able to put together from getting it right as much as we did. Because if you look at things right now, there's a lot of things it's like, what's in Vladimir Putin's head? That's going to dramatically change the direction of markets over the next little bit. Nobody knows that. It's unknowable. So there's all kinds of people talking about what's, what's, what could happen. But again, we don't know that. So there's no way to tell when these events are going to happen. You just need to accept that they're there and they're part of a long-term investment strategy. Yeah. So this is actually, I think the invasion happened yesterday or is happening today, depending on, on, on who you listen to. This is a thing. This is going to affect things, certainly in the short term. And Russia is a major uh, player in in the energy space. Geopolitical tensions can further disrupt or keep uh, supply chains disrupted. This is a short-term thing, for sure. But again, the challenge is knowing all of the knock-on effects, understanding all of the nuances. And frankly, there's no real way to, to forecast those kinds of things with any kind of meaningful value. So we're going to head back to the polls and I guess we're going to score our ability to tell stories here, Josh, and find out what people are most concerned about. That's right. So we're going to launch another poll here. Yeah. And you can vote on your screen there. And yeah, I guess it's who told the story the best out of us over the last 20 minutes, right? Paul? <laughs> So we have the results rolling in here. I'll give people a little bit more time to vote. Hopefully we didn't scare anybody away. Certainly the, the, the folks that are voting all of the things right now, our message is not getting across. All right. So here are the results for the audience. Fairly mixed bag. It's interesting. This is a little bit of a surprise to me. I guess. Availability bias is, is rearing its head here, Josh. And we, we perhaps didn't spend the time on it. We could talk about the politics here at home because that is a whole new level of spiciness. That is off the column level, the scale of, of spiciness for sure. Yeah. And it's funny because we've done this podcast or this webinar twice this week and both times the politics here at home were far and away the, the biggest concern of the audience maybe something for next webinar that we need to address or perhaps by then it'll all be it's just funny because again historical context you know, for me i go back to the flq crisis and the you know the separation of quebec crisis canada has gone through in, in my lifetime and just previous to my lifetime very major events that may be rival or maybe are similar to what we're going through right now again i'm optimistic that we're going to find our way through it but you're right, Josh, maybe we need to put, spend a bit more time on that and put something together for people. Yeah. Before we move on from the conflict in Ukraine, it was reported that Russia invaded yesterday and it seems like the market reaction was like 
Nah, and I was reading this morning that the market expected worse sanctions on Russia than were actually imposed. So this is going back to why it's so difficult to forecast this stuff, because you're trying not only to forecast whether Putin is going to invade, but also what the response from all the other players is going to be to this invasion. And then on top of that, you have to try to gauge what the current market is feeling and has already priced in with regard to all these responses. So it's, if you're a genius, you could predict one. If you were inside somebody's head, you could predict another. And if you had all the information available or some inside info, you could predict third. It's just, it's impossible to do. And we've been reading quite a bit about what have past armed conflicts actually meant for, for investments, for markets, going back to around World War II timeframe. And there's no clear path. There's no consistent outcome for this. And typically it's been pretty shallow and pretty short pullbacks in the market, a little bit of a knee jerk reaction, if you want to call it that. And then things have trended higher. So mostly these events have been coincidental to other, to other things and not driving the actual results for any sustained period of time for markets. Yeah, Josh, and I guess this really highlights the, the, the point that uh, the markets anticipate. All right. So there's the, the efficient market theory is all, you know, publicly available information has been priced into the market. And I, I think that's overly simplified. The market has any information that's out there. The market has in its infinite wisdom reflected that. So again, for an individual to read something in the globe on the weekend and to decide to react to it after the fact, you're late to the party. The market's already tried to price in what you think is about to happen. And there's, there's going to be some nuances for sure in, in how things play out. So, Right. Now, if you asked us at this point, what is our advice? Our advice hasn't really changed that much. First and foremost, don't let emotion rule your decision-making. Your decisions when it comes to your money, when it comes to your finances, should be guided by logic, by rationale. And are we stressed about the protests, feel full about the interest rates or war in the sense that, that we're all human and these things have very human elements and impacts on human, the human population. Yes, we're concerned about these things. We worry about these things, but they don't always trickle over to our, our stress or our concern for the stock market. And like always, like we've reiterated multiple times through this webinar, our investment decisions are guided by research. They're guided by process. They're guided by a system and they're guided by collaboration. And, and Josh's point is very well taken. So I want to jump on it and, and just say basically the same thing again. We're, we're, we're not for a second, are we diminishing the human cost of any of the topics that we're talking about? Not for a second, are we diminishing, you know, the, the financial hardship that people and groups of people are going through for sure. But you have us in, in your world to do math and to try to put these things in context and give financial advice to your investments. So in, in that vein, or keep your long-term money, long-term and your short-term money, short-term applies. It always applies. There's no deviation from that. Now we are guilty. I'm guilty. I know Josh is guilty. He's even told me that he's done this. We're willing to use the current situation to help you convince you to do what you should have done anyway. With rising inflation, you know, one of the motivators is, hey, lazy money is, is more costly now. 
you know, if you're sitting on money that, that you're not going to spend in the next couple of years and you're just keeping it around to make yourself feel comfortable, well, the opportunity cost of that has gone up a little bit. And I'm not beyond playing that card to get you to do what's in your own best interest, pay down some debt or get, get the money put to work in one way or another. So we are not beyond using the current situation for the powers of good to try to get you to make some better decisions. But again, that doesn't deviate from our, our initial position of just keep your long-term money, long-term and your short-term money, short-term. Yeah. The point being there that if you have long-term money, you can afford to, to deal with some of the ups and downs along the way, seek a bit more growth. But if it's short-term money, if it truly is needed in the short term, January is a great example of why you don't want to put it in something market-related. Now, in, in her wisdom, Catherine has asked us to include some more good news at the end, feeling that maybe the tone of this presentation wasn't as fluffy as some of the other presentations we've given. So I was tasked with coming up with even more good news and Josh trampled all over my thunder earlier in his presentation by stealing GDP numbers. So I had to dig a little bit deeper. So right now in Canada, there are 0.8 jobs being advertised for every person looking for the job market is frothy. If people are looking for work, there's a really good chance you're going to find something. Now, again, there's geographic issues. There's skill issues and all that other kind of stuff play into it. But listen, that this is, there's over a million jobs currently being advertised in Canada and not all jobs that are needed to be filled are actually even being advertised. So again, that gives me a lot of hope going forward that things are going to get better on average for people in Canada. But wait, you say people aren't being paid enough. They're not earning a living wage. Inflation's terrible. This isn't working out. Ha, huh, one step ahead of you. So from Q3 of 2019 through Q3 of 2021, because again, these stats come out, you know, in way looking back in order to get them right. The construction industry has experienced a 13.2% raise in average wage. The nurses aid and orderlies category is 9.9%. Retail workers are being paid 8.9% more. Cooks, 8.7% more. And material handlers, whatever category that is, are up 7.3%. So not only is it true that there's a lot of jobs out there for people, there's many categories and frankly, categories that aren't all that difficult to get into that have seen a dramatic increase in pay. Province of Nova Scotia just increased the pay to the care workers in the nursing homes by 23% right across the board. So again, those are anecdotal stories. It's not you know, evidence that everything is in the right direction, but it's a really good indicator that things are headed in a good direction. And as information becomes available, we'll be able to figure out how good that really is. I don't want to diminish the personal struggles of people that are going through struggles right now, because those are real and those are all over the world. But if you're drawing the conclusion that somehow this is absolutely terrible for the economy, then there's no way to get a job or make any money. Those conclusions may not be supported by the follow-up facts. And we're going to questions and Josh and I have decided that we are incapable of running the question thingy. So we're going to ask the voice of God to come in and let us know if there's been any questions come into the queue. Josh, do you want to answer the one that was emailed to us yesterday prior to, or day before yesterday? Because we've had a question on crypto and yeah, I just thought I'd throw that at Josh because he's squirming right now because it's such a big topic. 
Uh, I want to ask him to answer it in 90 seconds. So Josh, what about crypto? Yeah, such an easy topic to answer in 90 seconds, Colin. What is crypto? What, what impact is it going to have on my financial life? How is it going to change things in the future? Massive questions. And when you ask me, what is crypto? A lot of times I'm like, I don't even know. I've done a ton of research. I've listened to a ton of podcasts. I've read a ton of articles. I read a book on crypto and I left that book thinking that I know less than I thought I knew before that. So it's a confusing topic. Essentially what a cryptocurrency is, entirely digital currency, doesn't exist in, in paper or coins or anything like that. And there's no financial institution or intermediary that handles the exchange of that currency. Whereas if you're transferring your son or daughter $10,000, you go to the bank, you have the bank do that for you. With cryptocurrency, there's no financial intermediary to do that. It's all done through computers and it's done through some crazy thing that most people don't understand called cryptography, where are these computer networks, they, they solve the problem of person A has enough money to pass on to per, uh, person B. What does this mean? Great question. I wish I could tell you. I have no idea. There's so many questions that I have at this point. I think there are certain aspects of this whole cryptocurrency thing that are going to be here to stay and that are going to affect things long-term and more permanently and change the way we, we interact with each other and maybe interact with our financial intermediaries. And I think there are some aspects of it that are probably going to go away. For example, there's, I think, 6,500 or something cryptocurrencies today. That's 6,500. Yes, you heard that number right. Believe it or not, I'm pretty sure that not all these cryptocurrencies are worth something. Will some of them be worth something one day or worth more than they are today, let's say? Probably. Will a lot of them be completely worthless? That would be my guess right now. So a lot of it is unclear right now. We're keeping an eye on it. We don't think it's investable yet because it's just too unpredictable. It's too new. No, no track record and a lot of question marks at this point. And if Josh has been unable to understand it, everybody on this presentation should abandon hope because it's probably not understandable. But we'll share a bit of a story just to, to illustrate this point. I read a, a piece on cryptocurrency indicating that 90% of all Bitcoin was controlled by 10 people. And I, I asked Josh if he had read the same thing and he had. Now, the thing about crypto is it's anonymous. So there's no real way to find that out for sure. So I thought back to the tech wreck of 1999-2000 because what the, the founders of some of those initial dot-com companies would do is they would only allow 10% of their share float to trade in the market. And they got what was called torque because they were holding on to 90% of the shares. So the demand for the share was so high, the value of the shares went way up, but they were still holding most of the stock. So it, it made it look like they were really rich. So that was a technique that you could see because of public filings, you knew exactly how much torque there was in that transaction. So you understood the game that was being played at least a little bit. It was a stupid game, but you got to see it. In the crypto world, we can't see it. And we're really going to go, yeah, I think that might be what's going on. So again, there's nothing available there for decision-making, certainly nothing investable. People are going to get rich. People are going to get poor. People are going to buy nuclear devices with crypto that we're not going to be involved there. Catherine, do you have other questions for us yet? I see a little question marky thingy. I do. The question marky thingy is there. Uh, first question is, as you said, January was bad. How is February looking? I'll let Josh take this one. Less bad. 
it, it, it seems so far down a little bit, not down as much as, as January. And so things in January, they dropped towards the middle of the month and then recovered towards the end of the month. And now they, they've dipped a little bit more in February. That's where we're at right now. seems like things have stabilized a little bit, but we'll see. Next week could bring a new bag of tricks for us. Okay, next question. I'm not sure exactly what this is asking, but I hope you will figure it out. Has TFSA been affected by the changes in the market? TFSA has been affected yeah. by changes in the market. Was that what I heard? Yeah. Well, I guess that, that depends on what's in your TFSA. You know, now, so typically our strategy is try to keep more of the growth investments in the TFSA. So yes, it would be affected more than the rest of your portfolio, maybe. Depending on what is in the TFSA as to how much it was affected by things. Did I take a good stab at that, Josh? Yeah, I, I think so. The only other thing that I can think of is the amount that you can contribute to your TFSA is determined based off of inflation. So to the extent that we have inflation going up, we may have increases to our contribution limits to the TFSA at some point in the future. So if we're just looking a little bit more holistically and not specifically with the investment aspect of things. Yes, that makes good sense. Next question is, I don't know, Colin's been giving Josh some hard ones. So Colin, when will interest rates go up? Yes. Interest rates will go up. The question tends to revolve. You know, the question is asked as if the Federal Reserves are, so there's two aspects to this. The Federal Reserves, is, they, they do a lot of talking to try to move the market. So they leak, they try to talk the market into doing what they want. And then at the end of the day, they raise their rates potentially, but they're only raising the overnight. The market is, is setting all the other rates, like all the longer term rates get set on the market. What interest rates are going to do with Ukraine being invaded and other economic news is coming out. I've got no idea what's going on in the short term with the yield curve. I think that the Federal Reserves have all signaled fairly emphatically that we have interest rate increases coming in the overnight rate uh, later. I think March, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, that we're expecting to see you know, definitive raises in the overnight rate in March. But they've announced it. So the market may have already priced in the longer term rates. So you know, just because the Federal Reserve raises the rates doesn't mean that your mortgage rate is going to go up the same day. Those rates can actually change in anticipation of or an expectation of those overnight rates changing. So we could see the rates come off of these historically low levels. Keep in mind where we're starting from, where interest rates are very low. So we're, we're starting from a low point and therefore some raising from here actually makes a whole lot of sense. Okay. This is related. How will increasing interest rates impact the decisions you make with regard to portfolios and investments? You start this one, Josh, I'll finish it. Yeah, sure. So they've, I guess they've already been impacting the decisions we've made. Like we've been thinking with interest rates at historic lows for most of the last couple of years that we probably have a path higher or the path of least resistance for interest rates is higher over the coming years. And certainly as we sit here today, that's already happened to some extent. We've been positioning for this in investment portfolios for the better part of two years and maybe even before that. 
And there are a few things you can do without getting too specific into it. Uh, certain companies or certain industries or sectors are more affected by higher interest rates than others, and some actually in a positive way. Tilt the portfolio to some of those businesses that will thrive off of higher interest rates is what we've been doing. And then on the, the bond side, the fixed income side of client portfolios, you can reduce or increase the sensitivity to interest rates in that part of the portfolio. We've had a very low sensitivity to interest rates there for the last couple of years. So that has us positioned quite well for interest rates continuing to, to increase here. The other way that it can affect decision-making with regards to your portfolio, again, we're having conversations with clients about parking some money for short term. We're looking at a one-year GIC rate of 1.2%. Most people say, well, it's not even worth this. I'm going to advise you it's not worth tying your money up for a year for that low of an interest rate. We start to see those interest rates become 2%, 3%, 4%. Okay, you know what? That makes it back onto the landscape. We're, we're agnostic as to how we get you to your goals. And right now, for the last number of years, Buying shorter-term GICs and investments of that ilk haven't made any sense. We could cross a threshold here in the next little while where they do start to make sense. Well, I could sit in front of somebody today and say, here's an 8% government of Canada bond, everything else being equal. Sure, that sounds like a really great idea. It, it's going to leak its way back into the conversation. But it's moving so glacially slow that I don't think we're going to wake up and suddenly one day, oh, it's a thing again. It's just going to be one of the ones we keep in our back pocket, we keep our eye on. And as it gets up to being a little bit more reasonable, maybe it makes it back onto the decision-making when it comes to executing on your financial plan. And one more on this subject is we are a retired couple. What is the impact of interest rates on our portfolio? So that, that's a big question. And if you want to get into some specifics about your portfolio, we could certainly have, I think, a one-on-one -on -one conversation to go over. Generally speaking, I, I think the perception, again, just going back to something that I mentioned earlier in the webinar, I think the perception is that higher interest rates are unequivocally bad. But higher interest rates are usually accompanied by higher growth for the economy as well. And if you have higher growth for the economy, generally that means higher profit growth for companies, for the businesses that you own, the stocks that you own. So it's a very complex question. It's not just a one-to-one -one relationship. And there are some things that are positive by with higher interest rates and some things that are negative. In the short run, maybe there's a couple more things that are negative, but in the long run, there's a couple more things that are positive. So it's, it's a really tough question to answer. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Colin. Well, yeah, it's going to be in the short term, it's going to be volatility, but we don't think that it's going to be a long term. So there's going to be. As the market has reacted, everything that's going on right now, we are going to go through periods of volatility. And I'll keep in mind, if you're a retired client of ours, then we've got money that's not exposed to the equity markets. We have shorter term investments. We have the money that you need to live, that we understand you need to live on over the next little while, not exposed to these kind of forces. And we've bought ourselves the time to let ripples like this go across the pool without disrupting what we're doing. So it's going to be volatile and it's necessary because it, it if you take a look at the alternative right now, because again, when well, we have inflation rates that have been running high recently, and many of you have experienced it because it's been in some staples like food and, and gas and things like that. When you have inflation in the picture, 
it really, really makes more important that you have your money invested in such a way as to keep up. The way you do that is to have some market exposure to your money and part and parcel of that is this volatility. So this is the cost of being on the ride. You can make yourself feel a lot better by cashing out of all your market exposed investments, going a hundred percent to guarantees, and you won't notice every year as your money buys you a little bit less. And maybe that's more comfortable for you, but I can tell you as the math person in your life, it's way more poison. You can really dig yourself a big hole quickly, not paying attention to the purchasing power of your money. So life expectancies are keep going up. Medical science keeps getting better. You're probably going to live longer than you expect. So purchasing power is a thing. So I would say that if you're already retired, you're going to see some volatility for sure. It's necessary. It's and it's prudent. And we are watching it on the weekly to try to make changes, to take advantage of opportunities and try to protect from some of the worst stuff. But again, there's going to be no way we can get out of the way of all of it. I have a, a good one here. Somebody who really understands the dynamic. Crystal ball time, just to see how spicy Colin can get. Two years ago, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a significant drop in the market. But since then, the market has gone gangbusters. Is the current downturn in the market setting us up for another growth period? Oh, eventually, yes. See, they didn't ask you to put a time horizon on it. Yes, eventually the market's going to grow. They thought they were asking a tough question. We've already, what we look for opportunities, and it's, it, it's, it's hilarious. I found it hilarious. Josh and I tried to call each other at the same time three weeks ago. And both of us were going, I was thinking that maybe, yeah, I was thinking too. Because again, when these drops happen, it's at what point do we start reallocating the portfolio to take advantage of things? And that has been going on. And that happened three times in one month back in 2020. So we've seen it, we've seen one opportunity so far and we're looking closely at finding, but yeah, the market to answer the question directly and to, to stick it to the person who's trying to ask me a difficult question. Yes. The market's going to grow at some point from this point on. 2020, we saw the market go down about 35% from peak to draw. That's a big opportunity. That's a big opportunity. And if we look back to then, that was a really big opportunity and we were able to take advantage of it. Last month, January, and as we sit here today, we've seen about a 10% drop. So not nearly to the same magnitude. And a 10% drop doesn't preclude a 20% drop. So I would say we're a lot more measured today in terms of what we think the opportunity is. It's not a gangbusters opportunity. It was there in 2020. One more question, and that is, when is the next webinar? So I'll take this one. This is the one I'm prepared to answer. We are planning our next regularly scheduled webinar to take place in April. However, if there is a need to have one before then, based on any external events that are influencing our decision with regard to timing, we will have one sooner. And I'll be back on the road doing these live real soon. Catherine? I am waving my magic wand and fixing all of the things that are wrong with the world, and you betcha. Awesome. So is it time for the big finish? Big finish away. Josh, you can take the big finish. As always, we like to thank you for your time. We know your, your time is valuable. We appreciate you listening to us banter back and forth for a while. 
I will remind everybody or let everybody know that we do have a podcast that we banter quite a bit on. So if you're looking to hear more about our thoughts on current events, our podcast is called Bare Naked Money. You can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. Also, wlwp.ca. We do have all of our podcasts that get posted there in our, our blog section. So please tune in and I'll let you ask for the, the questions, Colin, because you do the best. I was going to point out that the podcasts, I think there's close to 40 of them up there now, but they're all by topic. So you can scroll through them and find something that's interesting to you to listen. So that's how we set it up. But we do live off of feedback. So if you could send, drop us a line and say, hey, we really want you to talk about this, or you didn't talk about that enough, or you said this and it made no sense to us. All those things are valuable to us because we really do try to deliver something of value. And we, we do, the way we can do it, absent having you in the room and calling me stupid, you know, I, I, I rely on you actually emailing me and telling me I'm stupid and what, in what particular aspect, because that's how we try to make these things better. So if you would be so kind as to, to indulge us and take a little bit of time to give us some feedback, maybe some ideas. Again, the crypto thing has come up, so that's probably going to be featured in some content sometime soon. But other than that, I guess all that's left is to thank you on behalf of uh, the team. We were super excited to be here with you today, and we look forward to next time. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.